Good morning. I feel like we've already heard the word this morning. I really do. Let's pray briefly and then we'll look at John chapter 6. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might see your son high and lifted up today in John chapter 6. That we would know our Jesus is patient, perfect, and all that we need. We ask it in his name. Amen. So I want you to think about this passage as a place for you to discover Jesus. And I'm going to point to Jesus like I'm your tour guide, but you, you must do the work. Jesus, see him as patient, perfect, and all that we need. So we're in John chapter 6, and a lot of our scripture this morning that we read uh, responsibly was uh, in the latter part of John chapter 6. What if we were family, and we are, just sitting around the table, and we are, and I started talking about Jesus, and you valued me enough to listen, and you wondered if I might say something important. Now, you're smart. You're a smart audience. So what could I possibly say that would change your life? Let's ask instead, what could Jesus possibly say or do that would change your life? And the Gospel of John is so rich in stories, so rich in stories of people coming to Jesus, so rich in Jesus waiting on them perfectly for the right time to say the right thing, um, waiting for the right time to do the right thing for the supreme benefit the supreme benefit of us believers for all that he's called to himself. And sometimes those uh, conversations are one-on-one, and sometimes what the work he has to do, the conversations, are Jesus in the crowd, and that's the account we find here in John chapter 6. And this afternoon, as we consider this passage, by the way, you notice how I'm speaking quickly? So you'll have to listen quickly, all right? This afternoon, as we consider this passage, uh, I'm hopeful that we might see Jesus, that we might see him as patient, perfect, and all that we need. And I come to you with kind of a certain boldness and a hope that each of us might see Jesus in a way that maybe we've not seen him before. It's important that you hear me say that. So we've grown up and we've come to know Jesus at different points in our life. And perhaps you came to know him as a child. So you came to know him through storybooks and stories and maybe pictures hanging on the wall or maybe movies about Jesus and hopefully through the scriptures. But you began to form at some point an image of Jesus and uh, the question might be, and I pray that, of course, that you, that, that you know him as Savior and nothing more important than that. Praise God for that. And that you know he died for all believers and that he didn't die just for the group of us, but he died for you specifically. And that's a hard lesson for some of us to learn. It's not one that I learned easily because I kind of felt like I was just one of the group. I made it in as one of the group. No, he died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He died for you. He died for each one of us. And um, that's a hard lesson to learn. So. But what if he maybe wants to reveal more about himself to you and you sort of have him uh, frozen in place, frozen in time? In other words, you developed your, your picture of who Jesus is and you've not given him any more space to be bigger than that. That's what I want to explore a little bit this morning. What if he wants you to know him more deeply? Uh, it's a hard thing to, to learn a new thing and to change our outlook, our opinion, um, our actions, our life purpose. And I was thinking the other day, I can be like an old laptop or an old iPhone that won't download the new apps. Have you ever had one of those? It says, like, this device does not support that. That's how I can be sometimes. I can't download the Google Chrome, the new Google Chrome update. I can't get the new iOS because uh, I'm operating on the old system. Now, um, it, it could be it's our brains. And it's not that we're maxed out on memory so much. It's that we don't want to upgrade our operating system. It's too much work. We like what we're running now. We have it all figured out. We have learned all the right church words, obedience and humility and unity and service. We listen and nod when we agree. 
And isn't that what we most want to hear? Something we agree with. Something to make us feel good and affirm our thinking. And we let our minds wander if we're not entertained. And we discard that which doesn't fit into our operating system. But could we possibly hear something that is more than warms our hearts, but changes our lives? And what if we could truly meet Noah person, unlike any other who has walked this earth, and hear from him? What if you were on your way to A? A, think of A as a place. You're on your way to A. Maybe you're already there. But what if Jesus wants to take you on to B? So I asked Christ into my life. He became my Savior at about age 12. And I knew pretty quickly afterwards there that I felt a calling on my heart to be a pastor. And so I was a mature 12, and I was a mature teenager, and I began to order my steps and my path according to that plan and purpose that I would be a pastor. And I made decisions that fell into line with that. And I went to college and took the classes that you would expect me to take so that I could be a pastor. When I proposed to my lovely wife, Ruth, I said, are you prepared to be a pastor's wife? She was. So good with that. We checked that box. And then shortly thereafter, 1981, Boy, that was a long time ago. I went on to seminary down in Kentucky. And about two years into my seminary experience, I began to think, something doesn't seem right. This doesn't feel like the place for me. I was a little bit confused about God's calling, but didn't want to deny the calling. And so I ended up seeking the counsel of both a pastor and a professor. And they both said almost exactly the same thing. Well, Mike, it seems like God has taken you to point A, but now he wants to take you to B. And it might look like a crooked path to you, but to God, that path is perfectly straight. So what if you're on your way to A, and maybe you're there already, but Jesus wants to show you B? What if Jesus wants to show himself to you in ways that you've never seen before? What if he wants to show himself to you in ways you've never seen or understood or had the courage to believe before? Jesus, let's see him today as patient, perfect, and all that we need. And this chapter is long, so we'll not read it all. But I want to read the first verses that we didn't read this morning that introduce us to Jesus feeding the 5,000. So I'm going to read from John chapter 6, those first 14 verses maybe. Um, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed followed him there because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets and the pieces of their five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's stop right there. So verse 2 says, the crowd is following because of the signs they saw him perform by healing the sick. They saw miracles. 
The crowd is large, 5,000 men, not counting. There's no count of women and children, but at least 5,000 men. So some have come, they're following him for a healing. They need a healing. And some have come because they are hoping to see a healing. They want to see that happen. They're there, um, I'm going to say, for the show. They're curious. So now in Luke chapter 9, there's a parallel account feeding the 5,000. Luke chapter 9 says that Jesus welcomed the crowd and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So this suggests that some followed to hear Jesus teach. So some are following to hear him teach, and some are following for a healing, they, 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 and some are following because they see Jesus as an entertainer, uh, if you allow me that liberty to say that. They want to see the show. They want to see what's going on. And my question to you this morning is, how do you see Jesus? And I love the patience of Jesus, giving the crowds time and giving us time to get to know him better. And he, oh, that'd be nice. Thank you. I'll take that right now. Half a Benadryl will dry you out like that. Thank you. I'm going to hold that and see what happens. So if you, the show might be later on when I spill that on me. So I love the patience of Jesus, giving the crowds time, giving us time to get to know him better. Because he recognizes these people are hungry. Now, he knows their real hunger is for more than food. For more than food, the real hunger. But he's patient. He knows they have a physical hunger. So they find the boy with five small loaves and two small fish. And I love how the scripture tells us that they were small loaves. And small fish, as if they had, they had been big loaves, five big loaves in five, two big fish, that would have been enough. But no, they're small loaves. Uh, my parallel that to be might say, forget the pizza that's coming later, but um, my wife has two lifesavers in her purse. We're going to feed you all from those two lifesavers. By the way, they're small lifesavers, okay? So let me pause. I also love what the scripture does not say. Because it allows us to wonder and ask questions. In John chapter 2, if we go back to the, the events preceding John chapter 6, John chapter, John chapter 2 tells of the wedding in Cana. John chapter 3, where Jesus, by the way, turns the water into wine. John chapter 3 tells the story of Nicodemus. John chapter 4, it's the woman at the well, where I want to make the point that um, the disciples went into town to buy food, leaving Jesus with the woman at the well. John chapter 5 tells about the man by the pool who Jesus healed. So each of these disciples, different men, learning about their master, learning, observing, trying to figure things out, trying to figure him out. And now here we are in, John, in, in chapter 6, and Jesus says to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Now back in chapter 4, the disciples went to town for food. So now imagine all the thoughts. This is where I say, I like what the scripture doesn't say. Imagine the thoughts in Philip's head. Jesus has just asked the impossible question. Where are we going to get food for these 5,000 people? And, and Philip says, well, eight months' wages would not even buy a bite apiece for these people. And so he's thinking, and where would we get the money for that? And he's thinking, and how would we carry all that bread back or all that food back? And so do you wonder then if Philip went to the other disciples and said, like, you won't believe what Jesus just asked me. He wants to know about getting food for all these people. And so why did Jesus test Philip? The scripture says he tested Philip. Was he looking for a moment with Philip to grow his faith? I think he was. And the disciple Andrew, who brought the boy forward, what thinking and courage did that require? Like, 
I've got this boy here. Look what he has in this basket. Maybe his own lunch. These five and two, really small. And maybe you could do something with that, Jesus. And so again, what the scripture doesn't say, I'm wondering, did Andrew remember back to that wedding in Cana and say, I remember what Jesus did. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And maybe Andrew's faith was looking for a place to grow. Is your faith looking for a place to grow this morning? What questions do you have for Jesus? Ask him. Ask him. And I tell you this morning, there is a faith in knowing what Jesus can do and in waiting for Jesus to do what he will. Now, Jesus has the crowd sit down, 5,000 men plus any women and children, and he gives thanks and the disciples distribute the loaves and fish. And verse 11 says, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Friends, this was Golden Corral. Who likes Golden Corral? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Some people don't like that. This was Golden Corral, an all-you-can-eat buffet. It was, as much as they wanted. And I bet there were many in this crowd who went to bed hungry at night sometimes. There were some who went to bed, they only had small portions. They didn't have as much as they wanted. They had their, their measly tiny portion. And there were some in this crowd where the husband made sure the wife had more, or the wife made sure the husband had more. Or they made sure their children had more. And the portions were small. But this, this feeding of the 5,000, this is Golden Corral. And for some in the crowd, it's their very first taste of abundance. They've never known abundance before. They've never known this kind of bounty. They've never known so much. It was their first time ever knowing more than enough. They had never known that before. That's important that you hear that point this morning. This makes me want to cry, you can tell. So for some, this abundance was amazing. They wanted to see it again, have it again. They wanted to cling to Jesus for this physical bread, for this physical nourishment. Now, our story tells us Jesus left the crowd and he went across the lake. And verse 24 says, Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake... They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, I find that to be an odd question. We're going to go back to that. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils. These are the words that you read this morning uh, together. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So do you know, uh, who do you know? Sorry, I'm pasting here so fast. Who do you know? Who do you know, Jesus asks. Who do you know, Jesus asks. What brings you to Jesus? Verse 2 says, in John, in John 6, verse 2, they came to him because of the signs. And now Jesus says, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, mm -mm, mm -mm, but because I fed you, because I was golden corral. I gave you golden corral. And you know what else he said to them? underlying all these words and what you'll see underlying the words of the rest of this chapter six that he's weaving in there. Jesus says, Oh, people who I love people who I've come to die for you ask for so very little. You see me as so small, even when in your eyes, 
you think you see me as big. He might be saying the same to you and me. And now our account in John chapter 6 continues. It contains the dialogue between Jesus and the crowd, and there are many questions, where he says, I'm the bread of life, which we read today. So the people ask their questions, and I'm glad, because I'm glad when people ask questions. It's the beginning of learning. It's the beginning of seeking. And you know that question in verse 25 where he says, Rabbi, when did you get here? I've pondered that question a bit, and I sometimes like to say, what is the question behind the question? And the example of this might be when your spouse says to you, do you have plans for this afternoon? Do you have plans for this evening? That's not really the question. That's not the question at all. The question is, could you help me with this later on? Could you work on this with me? Or could you do this? Or this hasn't been tended to in a while. Or could we go out to eat? Or could, you know, wanting to, that's not the question. The question isn't, uh, do you have plans for this afternoon? It's, could such and such happen today? And so I could be wrong about this. But the question, Rabbi, when did you get here? Here's what I think they were asking. I think they were saying, Rabbi, why did you leave us? Why did you leave us? Are you done feeding us? Are you done healing us? Are you done taking care of us? Sometimes we ask Jesus for so little, don't we? For so very little. We say, you be my savior, thank you. And I'll just sit over here and do what I have to do today. And then the question they ask Jesus in verse 28, after Jesus tells them, don't work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And they ask, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now, again, I could be wrong, but I think they're asking, what must we do to get our bread again? What must we do to have golden corral again? How can we earn our golden corral? Now, maybe some are asking, beginning to ask a deeper, more spiritual, more seeking question. Maybe some are just now having the first glimmer of, the first glimmer of understanding. But look at the next exchange now between the crowd and Jesus. So verse 29 says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They quoted scripture to Jesus. You know, Jesus, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You think maybe you might want to do some more of that for us? They're still suggesting that Jesus feed them. They're challenging him to do so. They're quoting scripture. Jesus, just give us bread again and again. Jesus, that's enough for us. We love Golden Corral and the healings, and we can probably tolerate the teaching. Oh, people who I love, people who I came to die for, you ask for so little. Now, Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, sir, always give us this bread. Even in verse 34, when they say, sir, always give us this bread. I still think the crowd is wanting bread to eat. 
They don't understand. We don't care where the bread comes from. Just give it to us like you did before. Give us golden corral. Jesus is so patient. He's so patient. The crowd, you and I, we want what we want. We always have the answers in our mind, what we want to hear. The words we want to hear. We already have it figured out. Immediate satisfaction is best. Immediate gratification is best. Please, please me now. Feed me now. Heal me now. Fix my problems now. We always know we are right. We don't want to be taught. We want to be right. And we want what we want. Give us golden corral. There can be nothing better. We ought not blame the crowd. We are the crowd. We ask for so little. We have the scriptures. And we ask for so little. We don't understand. And we ask questions. And that's a good thing. Trust me when I tell you this now. Nobody is slower to understand something than I am. You can laugh if you want, but I'm saying it rather seriously. I ask a ton of questions, so many questions. That's me. I am the man and the husband and the boss and the elder who asks questions. That's me. Is it because I'm slow to understand? It is. It is. At least I'm smart enough to ask the questions. So the more complex something is, the longer it takes for me to understand something. And some things seem beyond my understanding. Like, once again, if it's computer stuff or has to do with something in my phone, it's like, here, would you? I'm looking for that younger person. Maybe I barely know you. Hopefully I know you a little bit. Here's my, can you, here's my password. Here's all my passwords. Can you just do this for me? Um, I, I, you know, and then the other thing is, just fix this. So I'm such a visual learner, too. And I don't know if you've identified how you learn things. But a lot of times, I don't process words well. And I don't even like when I'm saying things well with words. I, um, I can stop in mid-sentence and say, wait, pen, paper. My staff at the store will tell you I do this all the time. Let me try to tell you on paper what it is I'm saying. Because I'm seeing it visually. And I have to say it visually, which means I have to say, Even though you could probably, if I say five words, you say, got it. No, I just can't. I can't do that. You guys should pray for my wife because she lives with me, you know. Okay. So, but she doesn't draw me a lot of pictures. She's got me trained in some places. So, as Jesus speaks to the crowd, I would be pushing my way to the front, pen and paper in hand, saying, Jesus, Jesus, I don't understand. Can you draw me a picture? Can you draw me a map? And our Jesus who is remarkably patient. He did draw a picture. He did draw a map. He knew what he was doing when he fed the 5,000. The timing of that was not just mere coincidence. And he knew what he was doing when he put that abundance of bread in everyone's hands. Not just bread, but more bread than they could eat. Bread until everyone had their fill. He knew he was going to teach something difficult on the other side of the lake. It's me 
I'm the bread. That's Jesus speaking. And he knew a Michael Began was going to be there saying, I don't understand. Are you going to feed us again or not? Jesus, careful, patient, loving, taking these people from A to B. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And he says, I am the better bread. I have better for you. I have life. Living bread, it's me, he says. I'm the living bread. I'm the perfect bread. But he's so remarkably patient. Because you, if, you, if you look at those scriptures there, he kind of is repeating himself with just some different sentences. Now, I mean, Jesus is speaking perfectly, so I'm not trying to, to, to diminish or slight uh, what he's saying. But it'd be, like, it'd be like if you explain something to me, I say, can you say it again differently? Can you say it again? Okay, finally, will you draw it for me? It's like those passages, he's repeating himself over and over, saying, I'm the bread of life. It's me. I'm the bread of life. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. I'm the better bread. And so he's so patient, the people grumble. And he says again in verse 48, I'm the bread of life. The people argue, he says again in verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise them up the last day. What's that, Michael? You're still confused? You think you have it all figured out? and want to argue and point out that you know already? I'll be patient with you. I love you. I'll keep showing myself to you. Friends, I like Golden Corral. I like it a lot. I consider it a treat when I got to eat there. But in the spring, I took my little granddaughter, Ruthie Daly, to a nice steak place, Cherokee Grill in Gatlinburg, on a Gramps granddaughter date. And I had a steak there, folks, that made me moan with delight after every bite. Have you ever sat at the table with someone who takes a bite and goes, mmm, mmm. Have you ever been at, now my wife cooks good like that, and I can be doing that at our kitchen table, let me tell you. That steak was so good, so good. I moaned after every bite. The company, the company was good too. Folks, if you're not delighted with Jesus, if you're not feasting on Jesus, Okay, we're getting near the end here, folks. I sometimes have this visual, this picture in my head that we're all living in a small room. Let's call it room A. And there's a door. And if we open the door and go through it, there's a bigger room. Let's call it room B. It's spacious and full of wonder. And maybe there's another door and an even bigger room after that. Now, we have made ourselves comfortable, too many of us, or too often, or sometimes, we have made ourselves comfortable in the small room. Five loaves and two fishes in that room. And we're full. We're full. Golden Corral. This room, don't ever want to leave it. But what if we find and open the door to a bigger room a more glorious Jesus waiting for us, a better understanding of our sin, a recognition of where we're complacent and unaware, a vision for how great our rescue was and how great our salvation is, a deeper intimacy with our Savior, a most incredible, patient, perfect, loving Jesus.
I wish I could say one sentence to you all today. You probably wish it too. I wish I could say one sentence that would take you into the bigger room. I don't know those words. I do not know those words. I only know to say, ask questions, and then point you to Jesus. That's what I pray out in chapter 6 is done for you today. I want you to see him beckoning you into the bigger room. I want you to see his arms open to embrace you. I only know to point you to see Jesus, for you to see how he welcomes you to receive all that he is and all that he has for you. All right, this is my wrap-up, folks. Friends, maybe, probably, most likely, every person here is a believer. And if you're not a believer today, you should consider the truth of the Scripture and the person of Jesus, his words. Jesus says, I have something better. I have a buffet of life like nothing this world has. I'll take as much time as it takes with you. I'm patient. This is Jesus. This is not me. This is Jesus speaking. As much time as it takes, I can wait for you. Ask me all your questions. But don't be fooled in that small room. Don't let this world distract you with flash and sparkle and politics. Fake beauty, false promises, come to me for life. And if you are a believer, the same thing. I ask myself, what have I got comfortable with that keeps me from embracing the fullness of the gospel? What paths and people and words have become routine? Which Golden Corral parking lot does my car turn into almost automatically without a thought? And as you get older, you think you have it all figured out. Much of it, anyhow. It's easier to be in charge and just consult with Jesus from time to time. It's harder to open your mind to open your mind to the thought that Jesus has more. It's harder to believe and trust that Jesus would take the five loaves and two fishes of your heart and multiply it infinitely if you would give it to him. And for some of you, for some of you who are being tested like Philip, I say this, whatever hurt you are carrying, whatever brokenness has a hold of you, whatever darkness covers your path, where the future seems uncertain, wherever hope has left, wherever doubt and fear and failure seem to be in control, where disagreement and separation has come, where sadness or depression fills your mind, where loneliness and emptiness are fighting for your heart, where the people you trust have failed you, where the load is too heavy and your energies have come up short, our Jesus is there. And your faith can grow or be restored in knowing Jesus can do all things and will do them at the right time. Our Jesus, patient, perfect, and all that we need, and perhaps waiting to show himself to you in ways you have not seen, 
if you'll push through the crowd and ask your questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love Golden Corral. And I love Easy. I love the comfort. Of the small room. I love being right. I love knowing all the right words to say. Oh, Father, look into my heart. Show me the better way. Give me the better bread. Teach me to be hungry for Jesus. Help me to truly see him as big as he is. I surrender. And I pray, Father, for these people that I stand in front of who I love deeply and who you love perfectly, that they might know you in a way that changes their lives and causes them to fall down before you and rejoice that you're Savior and friend. Bless us this day. Let us be yours. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.